Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of The Coriolis Effect. We do not despise the fox for eating the rabbit. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And today we've got um, a pretty bumper load of stuff to talk about, actually. And there's something which I'll mention as well in a moment, which we haven't done yet, but we will hopefully and then splice into the, uh, the final recording. So, World of Gaming. We've got a few things to talk about there today. Um, I won't spoil Don't it. Don't spoil any of that. But there's, um, there's such and such and something else. And then a little bit of news from uh, one of our favourite people up at Free League, Nils Kallian, who, uh, with a bit of luck, we're going to interview later on today or tomorrow, um, after we've recorded this. But we will then uh, put that into the end of this episode. So, hopefully... Um, We'll have lots to talk about with Nils. I did a piece a little while ago about playing Forbidden Lands one-to-one, and out of that came an idea about making more of your non-player characters, or GM or player characters, GMCs. or as we're calling it, as I'm calling it in this, party player characters. So I've got a recorded piece uh, about that. I know Matt's got lots of lovely things to say. Yes. Um, well, uh, one or two lovely things. Quite a few horrible things as well. Well, your horrible things are nice things for everybody else, because you are such a horrible person. Then Matt's got a discussion about uh, the Red Riders. Not the Red Runners, or the Road Runners, or uh, whatever yeah. else you want to call it. Red Runners, Red, I'm sorry. Red Riders from... I've written it down, Red Riders here. From Forbidden Lands. Um, some elves that Matt's got a discussion about, which will be really interesting to hear what, what he's got to say about, about those. And that plays quite nicely into the game that we've got, where... My character is an elf. Yes. It could easily, easily be, possibly. The whole reason a I volunteered to do this rider. Red Runners research <laughs> is because um, I was thinking that it might be useful to have one of them meet you, and I thought I'd do the research uh, in advance. So, so now I know what's coming in the next game. Every chance Excellent. that uh, Red Riders runners will appear. Um, riders and runners. So that's what we've got lined up for today. It could be quite a long one if we get a good chat with Nils later on. So, um, Matthew, let's leap. Let's Actually, I, I'm going to leap straight into um, World of Gaming first today because we've had some discussions lately with our good friend Nils, and out of that, two things have come. One has been an invite to join them up at the UK Games Expo on May the 31st to June the 2nd, I think it is, that weekend, up at the NEC. And we're delighted to accept the offer. Really looking forward to joining the Free League team up there for uh, for that con. We'll know more in due course near the time. But I hope to see you all there um, up at the, the Expo in Birmingham. Not everybody who listens to us needs to come to the UK Expo. It would be quite expensive for those of you living in Australia, New Zealand and America. No, they need to come. <laughs> and if they can't make it because it's too expensive, they need to feel the pain of not being able to make it. It will be the best time ever. I, I think we'll take um, some recording equipment and yes. maybe we'll get some opportunities to give those of you living in New Zealand, Australia and America some flavour of the gloriousness that is UK Games Expo. But let's not forget our, our our fabulous fans in other parts of the world, like Germany and Scandinavia and Well, if they elsewhere. can't come to UK Games Expo, they're just not trying hard enough, so they don't get anything. Well, by then, <laughs> our borders will be shut and there'll be a wall up on Oh, of there. course, yeah. So, um, <laughs> There's every yeah. chance. And nobody let's not start on that one. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, the other thing that Nils uh, talked about was... Um, 
He mentioned to me the Grindbone challenge, challenge that we played back at Dragon Meat, and they loved it so much, they're going to run it again at Gothcon in um, in Gothenburg on late... Oh, it's Easter weekend, I think it's... It like, is it's the running. actual Easter weekend. Actual Easter it? weekend yeah. in April. So, brilliant. Excellent stuff. I'm really glad that it went down so well and the guys enjoyed it so much that they're going to be running that. If any of you are able to get to Gothcon... Um, Gothenburg, Easter weekend, crack go. on, go and get there. Um, I was hoping to go, but unfortunately my wife can't face the prospect of having to go and see her, family, her family at all. So we're not going to Sweden now for Easter. You've got to go to Gothcon one of these years. I will, I, mean, I will. We nearly did. Her so, family live near Gothenburg, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they live just up the road and we've got friends in Gothenburg. Um, yeah, <sighs> I know. Well, it's not me. Next it's year, the, maybe. It's not me, it's the wife. Yeah, well, so, there um, we go. But I offered to look after your dog as well, didn't I? You did. You haven't yeah. seen her since. She's now about. Well, she's a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> she's a, she is um, five month old German Shepherd. Uh, yeah, and she's huge. That's why I said I couldn't look at her at this house. My wife did say I could come to your house and house it and look after. Her. Okay, excellent. <laughs> but I wasn't going to make that offer until um, I knew whether you were going on. Ah, well, I'll bear that in mind in future. <laughs> okay, cool. So yeah, that's excellent news. I'm really glad they they like that um, tournament as much as they did, and want to run it again. Smash they are, and they we... are planning, hopefully, to take. Um, they've taken the <laughs> pathetic little, almost drawn in crayon map that I did yeah. for Dragon Meat, and have given it to somebody with some artistic um, ability to Ooh, see if they can draw that up. So the arena will be so properly hopefully drawn. The arena will will re- will reappear as a proper free league map for um for the Grindbone Challenge. You I know, can't wait to see that. I wonder whether they should create some NPCs to help them populate it. It could be like a supplement. That I think we should out. create lots of NPCs to yeah. supplement it. No, yeah. I was thinking about GMPCs. One NPCs. called Matthew and one called Dave. <laughs> I did say to Nils that he's got to include us in it somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Oh, actually, that's a good idea. Let, let's send them a couple of uh, rowdy <laughs> spectators or game organisers or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Or, or slaves that they could kill, or something. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Janitors, probably. So so that's the most exciting news from Sweden, but there's quite a lot of news from Sweden in our world of gaming. It's it's the Sweden of gaming, actually. Uh, the Sweden of gaming? In that it's not, I'm not talking about anything that isn't coming out of Sweden at the moment. Okay. Uh, for the rest of the news. Um, oh, well, first of all, let's start off with Ruin Masters. It seems that there are other companies in Sweden who have looked with some envy at the success of Forbidden Lands and have decided that they want a slice of that pie. And uh, 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 Riot Mines, uh, publishers of the Trudvang Chronicles and inheritors of uh, all the juiciness that was uh, Drakkar et Demona. Um, Drakkar och Octimana. Did I say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's me doing a bit of French Swedish. <laughs> um, Swench. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. They 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 have currently got on Kickstarter Ruin Masters, wherein they promise a retro feeling game with modern mechanics that involves hex crawling. And, Where have I heard that ad- before? And adventurers. Yeah. And some very nice, uh, but quite familiar sort of black and white artwork and uh yeah i think it's more yeah. modern i think it, it is it, it is it's it, very good artwork. it's another actually. equally talented artist um uh and it looks it does look lovely i'm 
I'm not entirely sure that I'm going to be investing in it. Yeah, but um, it does look like they have a map. It does look like they might have stickers for that map. Uh, they've also got little stand-up um, standees. So the stand dungeon up, stand building. Stand-up standees? Yeah. What's a standee? Right. Little, little cardboard character markers, I think, for placing on a map. Otherwise yeah. known as standees. I think that's what they're called, yeah. Standee? Okay. Or maybe they're not. Maybe, I don't anyway, know what you're talking about. Um, anyway, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, I think for that reason that the dungeon combat is going to be a bit more tactical than we're used to. It's not going to be zones, it's going to be squares and things like that. If you've got to move figures around, because oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, um, the Year Zero system more, doesn't really require that sort of level of tactical moving. More D and D ish. Yes, slightly more D and D ish. Ah, okay. There appear to be something like three D ten involved in the creation of stats and stuff like that. So, um, okay. Uh, well, I mean, anyway, if you're interested in that, uh, there you are. Now, of course, Trudvang came out of Drakkar at Demona. Ock. Ock Demona. <laughs> Why am I into that now? <laughs> I don't know what ek means in Swedish. I'll have to ask my wife. Um, and Drakkar Okdemona was the first Swedish version of the set of rules that we in the West know as, first of all, as RuneQuest and then basic role-playing. And I've also heard that, but I can't think of the company that's publishing it, there's going to be a Swedish translation of the latest version of RuneQuest, RuneQuest Glorantha, mm. coming out quite soon. Uh, Chaosium have announced that they've licensed it to a Swedish publisher who I haven't heard of and I didn't write it down and I can't find it on the internet uh-huh. now. So, but that's coming. And I just thought I, I've been playing RuneQuest a while, um, not with you, Dave, because basically I do have other friends. Um, I'm shocked. <laughs> you have friends. Yeah. I've been playing <laughs> RuneQuest with Nick Brooke, who is like a, uh, he's been playing RuneQuest since we were all at school and university. Um, and he's written a lot of stuff for for RuneQuest. So he's a great uh, RuneQuest GM. We've been having some wonderful adventures in that. Really legendary. Uh, is this spinning your your weekday? Um, no, crowd? this is this is this is Sundays. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, I try not to do it the same Sunday that we're meeting on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, so roughly once a month. But it's a great game, a great version, the best version of RuneQuest ever and if it's yeah. coming to you guys in sweden in your native language so look out for that yeah i used to enjoy runequest back in the day um i didn't play tons of it um uh, yeah good yeah and good. we avoided because and andy ran that and we avoided glorantha uh we, we i never just, played Glo- yeah, glorantha no. no this is very very much set in glorantha but it brings the world alive and one of the problems with Glorantha is there's so many people who are really into it that it can be a bit off-putting to new guys or people that don't know so much about it. But I've got to say, the new rule book is really good at introducing the world to cool. you and making you feel part of the world. Yeah, nice. Uh, and, and so is Nick, who's been a great GM as well. Mm. Um, but uh, let's leave time for that interview that's coming later on. Yes. So um, let's listen, first of all, to... Your plans for GMCs? For no <laughs> PPCs, as we're calling them, party player characters. Um, yeah, let's leave it that. There's no more introduction needed. Let's listen. In my discussion a few weeks ago about playing Forbidden Lands one to one, 
with only the GM and one player, I talked about giving the player some non-player characters to supplement their skill set. These would make up their group, their entourage, coterie, gang, posse, troop, band, tribe, crew, team, company, clan, squad or crowd. These are the player's friends, their family, paid up hired hands or others who happen to find themselves alongside them, all to help the player out. Now every GM has run multiple NPCs. It's part of the job. But the GM's job is a busy one. And how many of these NPCs really get the attention they deserve? Of course, some key NPCs get thought through in great detail. But the reality is that most don't. And that's fine. Usually. But perhaps not in the context of an NPC that is really close to your player most or all of the time. You might be thinking that's fine. As a GM, I'll just think about these NPCs in more detail. But sometimes it's nice to have a little help. And nice to not quite know what the future might hold. And that's what I'm offering. And for those of you who can hear Matthew saying, It's GM characters, not non-player characters. The GM's a player. I want to say I have very deliberately chosen not to call them GMCs. And I'll tell you why. These NPCs won't be completely controlled by one person, but in three parts will be influenced by the player, the GM, and by the roll of the dice. They are not true NPCs, and neither are they true GMCs. So I'm going to call them Party Player Characters, or PPCs. Next I thought about my favourite books and films, where this group dynamic plays out. The things that came to mind were Frodo Baggins with his trusty friend Samwise, Doctor Who and all of his, or her, various assistants and companions, Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson, and Star Wars with Chewbacca, R2-D2, C-3PO and a host of others. These are all good examples of the kind of thing I'm talking about, but what social elements arise from these stories that we might want to include in ours? First, and most obviously from that list, it's loyalty. In most cases, these close characters are very loyal to their lead player. But in gaming terms, a guarantee of 100% loyalty might get pretty boring pretty fast. Surely these party player characters have their own desires and ambitions, pet peeves and red lines. There has to be a dynamic that might leave in doubt whether the party member would risk their life to save the player, or back her up in a tight spot, or even resist the urge to steal a few coins from her unattended money bag. Next comes love, and with it, hate. PPCs, who are working with their player, will usually feel favourably towards them. It may not be love, but it might. But what about a PPC who actually dislikes his player, but could still be loyal. Or a PPC who loves their player, but isn't very loyal. This might not be an unreasonable situation, and immediately brings up some tantalising role-playing possibilities for that group of PPCs. 
And then there's the group dynamics. Do all the PPCs like each other? Are they competing to get the player's attention? Or convince them to a course of action that goes against the interests of others in the group? I'm sure there are lots of other connotations that might work here just as well. But how might we go about making all this work in mechanical terms? Well, what I'm going to propose doesn't take all the work off the GM or all the control away from the player. And it will allow things to develop based on the role of the dice. This harks back to my recent reintroduction to the joys of randomness, thanks to Forbidden Lands. So for each party player character, you need to record a number of things, most of which are all pretty standard stuff. These are their name, their job, if they have one. This certainly applies to any PPCs who have a role in your stronghold, but may also apply to others as well. Their stats, and I'd suggest you just roll 1d4 for each stat. Skills. I think PPCs should maybe have three skills. If they have a job, there will, in all likelihood, be an obvious skill they should possess, and that should be included. For the other skills, why not roll randomly? And roll 1d3 for the skill level of each skill. Talents. Some jobs come with a talent. For example, the master builder hireling has the builder talent. Gear. There may be some obvious items of gear they should have and it's up to the GM to decide what these might be. And then notes, both the player and the GM will want to record any interesting points about the PPC. These might relate to how they were employed, or the circumstances of their introduction to the player. Some will be unknown to the player as well. And then we come to personality traits. Now this is where the character of the PPC really starts to emerge. Each member of your party has eight traits, which are actually eight pairs of linked and opposite traits. Each pair has a total of 10 dice to divide between them, showing how strongly that PPC relates to one end of the spectrum or the other for that particular trait. The traits are loyal and disloyal, love and hate, courageous and cowardly, content and greedy, Honest and dishonest, good worker and slacker, peaceful and violent, charismatic and loner. For the first, generally positive, aspect of each trait, you roll 1d10, and that is the score for the positive aspect of the trait. Then subtract that score from 10 to give you the score for the opposite, generally negative aspect. So for example, for loyal, I roll my d10 and score 4, so that PPC's loyal score is 4. Taking that from 10 means his disloyal score is 6. How do these scores work in the game? Well, there are a couple of ways. First and foremost, the scores simply give you a general sense of the PPC's personality, and that immediately begins to build their character. This, in itself, might throw up scenario ideas and plot lines but it will also help the GM roleplay the character and make him or her a more three-dimensional person. Second, the trait score tells you the number of dice you roll if any of these traits, positive or negative, need to be tested. 
The trait test is always an opposed role, which simulates the internal thinking of the PPC, one trait's positive aspect against another's negative aspect. The GM would choose the best opposed trait to see which wins out and how the PPC would respond. In the vast majority of cases, the opposing trait cannot be the linked trait. So, for example, you wouldn't roll loyal dice versus disloyal dice. Although, if the test is purely related to one trait and no other opposing trait fits narratively, then you can test the positive versus negative aspects of one trait. For example, if you set a task for your PPC, but his slacker trait is high, the GM might roll to see if the PPC slacks off to go and see his girlfriend. The party player character's tendency to slack might be modified by his honesty or loyalty to that player. The GM would roll the slacker dice pool and the player the positive trait pool, in this example, loyal. If the slacker roll wins, that is, gets more successes than the loyal roll, the PPC slacks off and your pigs go unmarked. A tie would mean the PPC does what he's asked, but maybe goes off to do his job grumbling under his breath and kicking at the dust. Another example might be when the player is in danger and she cries for help. In the face of danger, the PPC might hesitate to act, so the trait test would be loyal or love, choose the highest, rolled against hate or cowardly, whichever seems most appropriate in the circumstances. The outcome would dictate the PPC's behaviour. One success in favour of the player might have him react to help, but not put himself in too much danger. Two or more successes might mean the PPC throws himself in front of the beast about to maul his master and friend. So to summarise, in play, the player has her party and uses them to help her and do tasks, and usually they will comply without question. They are an extension of the player's character. But the GM will also influence what the PPCs do. When it feels right, the GM should call a trait roll and then narrate the outcome based on the roll of the dice. The GM should also develop storylines and character desires and quirks for the PPCs that might start out unknown to the player. These will also drive the PPC's actions, drive trait rolls, and maybe cause changes to the PPC's trait scores themselves, especially if the player behaves particularly nicely or harshly towards their party. The last thing to mention is advancement and character development. There are two elements to this. Advancing PPC skills. I'm not sure this is such a great idea although the prospect of your party adventuring alongside the player and never getting better at anything seems a bit odd. So the simplest thing would be to allow the player to spend their XP on a PPC, in the usual way, instead of on themselves, if they want to. They'd need to bear in mind there's a risk in doing this. The PPC might get killed the next day, or might be harbouring some hidden resentment that's been building for weeks. I might just use that new melee skill in a way of which the player might not approve. The second element is changing traits. The PC might want to improve the traits of a particular PPC and can spend one XP to shift the balance of a trait in whichever way they choose, remembering that the total for both linked traits is 10. To use my example of earlier, the player could spend one XP and change the loyal and disloyal scores from four and six respectively to five and five. Each trait can only be shifted by one point per session 
through experience. I think this idea brings some great elements to a game, and a fresh dimension, particularly to make a one-to-one game really work. But it hasn't been playtested. I will be putting this article, along with a random skill table and a PPC template, up on my blog, rpggods.org, if you want to try it out. And if you like the idea, there's no reason to limit it to just one-to-one games. You could apply it to Forbidden Lands more generally, to bring greater depth and gaming potential for your stronghold denizens and workers. I get, though, that this might not be for everyone, and that in some circumstances it might be too much bookkeeping for a lot of PPCs, especially if you have a large stronghold and a lot of staff. But if you like the idea, give it a go, and let me know how it pans out. Dave, that was uh, uh, great. As usual, you've done a lot of work there, and there's things I very much love about this idea. I particularly like the paired comparators of personalities. Um, uh, you know, loyal, loyal versus disloyal, love versus hate, confident versus cowardly, content versus greedy. Um, that also ties into my slight concern, which I don't want to really... I don't want to be definite about this until we've playtested this a bit and you say as you mm. say it's not been playtested. No. It feels somewhat overcomplex to me. So my first concern is have we got too many of these comparators, too many stats. It, you know, it's almost that mm. the, the PPCs are more complex to uh, run than the actual player characters. There's more yeah. stats to keep a track of. So I, I don't I don't disagree with that i think um apparent complexity and actual complexity in the game are probably two different things yeah that's um, um that, you know because, that's why i don't want to criticize it too much until I played it through and see yeah what it feels like so i think there is there is potentially a bookkeeping element here that you could go too far with but my 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 feeling behind it is that you're trying to you know for, for your player character you've got the player who is defining all these things, all these characteristics, these traits for themselves and their character for your NPCs or your GMCs it's up to the GM to do that for all of them and as I said in the piece you know, most most, uh, NPCs won't get that kind of attention and they will as a result be quite two dimensional potentially, or even one dimensional the, the kind of the thrust of what I'm trying to do here is to give a little bit of a framework which helps frame some of that thinking. It, it, it gets your brain thinking. So as I said in the in the in the piece, one of the first things it gives you once you've got those scores is an immediate idea of that character. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and that's what I love. Um, and as a very well-rounded, not just a uh, what silly voice does he have and. Yeah. And what what posture do you take as a GMC? But an idea that says, well, how is he going to react to yeah. these various things? That that I like a lot. Yeah, I think you could. I did think a little bit about whether you actually needed the the two ends of the spectrum for each of them. Um, thinking about if someone's going to be loyal, and you've got a base um, uh, sort of uh, a base number of ten is the total between. Loyal and disloyal. If you're loyal seven, of course your disloyal is going to be three. And when do you roll one or the other? Yeah. And I think 
are not, uh, you know, as I said, it needs playtesting. So I think there are some things there that might possibly not get used very much. So you might end up rolling loyal dice rather than disloyal dice. Yeah. But there might be an occasion where the disloyal dice is, is relevant. Well, um, that's I, I guess that's one of the things that, uh, again, I'd, I'd want to try it. But I, I just wonder whether there's a sort of a, there's a loyalty stat that ranges from minus three to plus three, and they work mm. as a, a a bonus or 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 a modifier, yeah, one way or yeah. the other, against various things. Um, so I think the one thing this does give, which I quite like, is a it, it brings the the internal character of the of the NPC out a little bit, yeah, by having them through a dice mechanic. Um, possibly agonise over whether they want to be loyal or disloyal or um, violent or honest. Yeah. Um, and you know you have a way of, of allowing the dice to dictate what the answer is. Yeah, so you as a GM might have an idea that this is the sort of thing that would test their cowardliness. Yeah. Um, uh, but then you could roll that and not actually be the person making the decision about whether they're going to run or not. Just say, well... This is this to me. The GM is a scary monster. Let's see how well they react to it or not. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So you know these these characters are an extension of the PC. If you're doing it in a one to one Forbidden Lands game or any other one to one game, um, you know they are kind of explicitly an ex- extension of the of the player. But you know if you were just going to give the player one hundred percent guarantee that they're always going to do what you would like them to. Why not just give the player a bunch of more skills? Yeah. Um, well, that kind of the, comes I, to my other point, I think, then. So my other concern about this is the game revolves around the player as protagonist. And so, in a way, what you're, what you're proposing here is a thing where the GMC has a bunch of skills or whatever that they do. And we talked about it before when we were talking about uh, one-to-one uh, Forbidden Lands uh, about them being a replacement for the lack of skills that the player's got because yeah. the player's just one person in a party and you know if they're a sneaky person you know it's great they can do all the robbing the treasure but when it comes up against fighting the giants you need to have a tank in your an, an NPC tank in mm, your party yeah and what you've proposed here is therefore that you know the you roll first of all to see whether your NPC tank is a coward or not. No, he's not. Great, he's going to rush in. Then he rolls the battle, or rather, the player or the GM uh, rolls the dice for a third person in the battle. And I just wonder whether and this might just be a philosophical thing here that I'm getting too worried about. Whether actually, what I really want is the PC rolling the dice for himself. So the PC is making or the player is making a leadership role or something like that to send the fellow into battle, modified mm. by his cowardly confident rating, maybe, but actually it's the PC, yes, I successfully commanded that person to fight and he won the battle because of my success. That's a fair challenge. Um, I think my answer to that is that you wouldn't be rolling on these traits for every single thing. So actually, as, as I say in the, in the essay... Um, the vast majority of, of times, the, the the PPCs will do what they're told. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of dynamic plays out without having to make a die roll for every single time you say, go and go and get my horse. No, mm. fuck you. Yeah. I'm going to make a roll. Go and get my horse. All right, then. So <laughs> yeah. it's not that. Um, and in many cases, if you've got a, 
a PPC whose job is to be your bodyguard and whose loyalty is, you know, not one, um, then I would I would expect the the GM to have no qualms about that PPC doing what he was told. I think what this does bring in is potentially um, interesting opportunities that can come up every now and then to to flesh out the the dynamics of these characters. And I think the other thing to bear in mind is, particularly if it's a one-to-one game, every other character that the player comes up against is a non-player or a GM character. Mm. Um, so you can't get away from that fact in a one-to-one game. Yeah, This is my way of trying to develop a bit more personality without putting an extra burden on the GM for having to think about, okay, this is this is the squire, what do I make them do? This is the guy who cleans the pots out the back, what do I, you know, you've got some stats here that help you make that decision much more quickly. Yeah. Well, well uh, I must admit, one of the things I was wanting to do before we got together now is try and apply these rules to um, your uh, chef that you've got in your party uh, oh, um, Double Tree, whatever his name yeah. is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Twin Beard. Double Tree. I can't remember. Anyway, I'll, I'll dig out my notes and remember what name, <laughs> we, what name he has. Well, maybe we can use these rules, these rules to roll him up. Yeah. Well, that's what I, I was going to do that before, before having this conversation. So okay. I knew how they worked there. Now, I didn't manage to do that. Well, that's a bit slack. I was looking at, um, I was spent other, a lot other of time projects. looking in the rule book for Red Riders, as we should <laughs> um, Muppets. And, uh, uh, and not finding them, so I didn't manage to do that. But hopefully, if I get a bit of time before Saturday, I'll I'll give these bit of a test run, and we, we can see how this works. Doesn't take long. Not one to one, because obviously there are going to be three other players. Yeah. Uh, or yeah. Three, three of you players around the table, and he's just a third person. But I thought we could we could try that. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. we should. I'd, I'd like to. Yeah, I think that would, that would work. A, a good a good way of giving it a test. Um, smashing. Cool. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll report we'll back on it maybe uh, when we've we've run it um, at the weekend, and I yeah. can then say yeah, it is officially crap and it's far too complex. Do it this way instead, or not? <laughs> I think the complexity will come if you uh, if you try and run it for too many yeah non-player characters. I'm not expecting it to be too complex for this guy because he's one. He's one. No, and I mean I rolled up a few just for just just to see how it went. It's pretty easy and straightforward. There's not a lot to it. Um, yeah, I mean, if you if you had a stronghold of thirty hirelings, you might not want to use this for all of them. Maybe the senior ones or the ones that your characters interact with most often, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but it's just about judging how far you want to take it for your particular game. I think for some people it will work really well. Others, it might just be a bit of bookkeeping too far. That's fair enough. Now, I just realised, rather late in the station for me to realise this, that uh, this is quite a that, Forbidden Lands heavy that I'm great. episode. No, I'm... That I'm the best th- GM. No. Because you've, you've admitted that yeah. publicly. But, yeah, I already said that. I haven't actually realised it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I just realised that this is quite a Forbidden Lands heavy episode. It is. And one of the reasons for that is we had promised our listeners a talk about repairing your ship. We'll reserve that for the next episode. Because there's a lot to get get through, isn't there? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think. Sorry for that. That will be two episodes. We've delayed it now. Yeah. If anybody's on tenterhooks about it, <laughs> sorry, uh, it will be next time. It's on my blog, yeah. as will the stuff that I've done about um, uh, the, this will be the PPCs. Well. I'll yeah. stick that up on the shtick. I will stick <laughs> rather than a shtick that up on my blog, RPGGods.org. 
Uh, so you better find it on there. Brilliant. Um, but moving into uh, some more Forbidden Lands content that um, that, that I had, we've already actually previously mentioned. The Red Raiders. Uh, yeah, the Red Riders. I spent ages <laughs> looking at the, the Red, Red Ravens. I realised the Red Ravens as well. I couldn't find them. <laughs> um, no, uh, I realised that I was preparing for the game that we're going to be running, and I realised there was a chance that you might come into contact with uh, a group of elves that I had read about in the rule books, and so I thought that I'd do a bit of research. Let's see how that went. Who are the Red Riders? Elves, of course. I knew that, and I remembered from my initial read through of the books. Something about them protecting the ruby-red crystals that were elf souls, denuded of flesh. But that's all. So, when our party were attacked by a corrupted undead elf, and recovered her blackened crystal heart, I thought I should pull together everything I knew about the elf faction that might make an appearance should my party try to take the crystal to the still mist, trade it, or do something with it that I hadn't yet imagined. Eschewing the books, I turned instead to the PDFs, where I could search for words and find every mention of it listed. And my first problem was that they were not mentioned at all. Not mentioned in the Game Master's Guide, not mentioned in the Player's Handbook. I was puzzled. Where had I read about them? I turned to the Raven's Purge campaign book. Not there either? It took me a little while to realise that I was searching for Red Riders, not Red Runners. I gave myself a mental slap for stupidity and started my search again. The Red Runners were founded by the elf Gelmalda in an effort to reclaim the heart of her sister, who had been eaten by the giant Scrome. So their founding purpose was indeed to recover the crystal hearts of fallen elves. They are named for the star that, legend has it, rained elven hearts upon the world. Ashamed at humanity's invasion of the Ravenlands, and angry at the orcs' failure to obediently defend their realm, they have chosen not to retreat with their brethren into hidden elven enclaves, but to roam the Forbidden Lands, defending life from demons and rust brothers. I am sure that they see themselves as heroes, but to the rest of the world they seem arrogant and condescending. Indeed, they despise the other kin, even when they see them as allies. They must occasionally be able to befriend people of other kin, though, as they maintain a network of spies. That said, as that network is said to consist of animals as well as other kin, perhaps in the eyes of Red Runners, everyone else is an animal that can be easily trained. The Red Runners maintain their intelligence-gathering operation on behalf of the wider elf community, such as the Druidic Order of the Golden Bough, and they are sometimes seen as the Druid's boot boys, tasked with demonstrating elven strength when someone else has something that the Golden Bough Druids want. Kalman Rodenfell is a leader of the Red Runners, but I am not sure he is the leader. An old elf, his stone heavy with age, his feet rooted like trees in the blood of his enemies, he spends most of his time in the still mist, 
but he is not adverse to wandering the forbidden lands if the need or opportunity is great enough. Adventurers are more likely to meet his lieutenant, Olmea, or her lover, Alsuro. These centuries-old elves, her skin like polished wood and his hair like silver, are very different from each other. Alsuro is vicious, racist and warlike, but his lover and commanding officer, Olmea, while being a dutiful soldier, prefers to find more peaceful ways to complete her missions. Another Red Runner is Melina Redwing, who has adapted her flesh to be able to fly a little, but who, like Alsuro, despises anyone who isn't an elf, even Elvenspring. And that's about as much as anybody knows about the Red Runners, which is a little disappointing. One of the things I loved about Coriolis was the deep and inspiring, and often contradictory, history of the factions. Every paragraph, it seemed, could be a springboard for adventure. In contrast, the Red Runners are somewhat one-dimensional, haughty, militaristic elves. But Forbidden Lands is a young game, and the world and its lore is young too. The intricate detail of the Third Horizon was created not just by its authors, but also its fans, some of whom became Freer Legan. It's up to us fans to add nuance to the fantasy. And so, let me add a little here. Remember those Red Riders I was looking for, the ones that don't exist? Well, they do now. Gamalda's most trusted lieutenant on that first fateful mission was a young elf called Lilia Redfox. Lilia came to lead the cavalry division of the Red Runners which fought alongside the swordsmen and the archers, mounted on fast, aggressive red deer stags. Eventually, she was entrusted with Gamalda's Entwood flute. This long but simple rustic flute was the war horn of the Red Runners. Silent to any other kin, it could be heard by elves wherever in the world they are. To most elves, it sounds like sweet musics, but to the Red Runners, its tune is a code which can call all the Red Runners together to form an army, and in battle can direct that army's manoeuvres. However, Lilia fell out with the other Red Runners. Their oath to defend life in the Forbidden Lands meant all life, she insisted, even the orcs and invading humans. We do not despise the fox for eating the rabbit, she said. So who are we to judge when humankind seek to farm the Ravenlands? Eventually, she could tolerate the Red Runners' arrogant racism no further, and left, taking with her her loyal cavalry and the EFG, the Entwood Flute of Gamalda. Considered a traitor by the Red Runners, it is said that she and her warband still roam the Forbidden Lands. There are stories of the Red Deer Riders interceding in disputes and defending villages from demons, but otherwise they keep themselves to themselves. Some whisper that Lilia might maintain contact with Mergaline, but even the elven druid denies it. Yeah, I, apart from it being uh, too complex, far too many NPCs and GMCs, no PPCs, um, <laughs> I, that was quite good. Um, too much bookkeeping and... Uh, just generally unplay-tested. There but, is zero bookkeeping. But, <laughs> but apart from that, it's great. Well done, Matt. Thanks. 
Um, no, it's it's good stuff. Actually, it plays really well into my character in our campaign, um, Ten Grail, who I I decided for entirely unrelated reasons to the Red Riders, Ravens, Raiders, yeah. Runners, whatever. They, they, Whoever it is, they are. It's Riders, isn't in it? No, they're the Red Runners. In the rule book, they're the Red Runners. Runners, right, okay. I, I was looking now. for the Red Riders, right, but right, right, the Red okay. Runners. But now we have the Red Riders. We have the Red Riders, yes. Right. Um... Uh, so my my uh, my character Tengrail the elf who is a um a uh, a fighter who was a commander who is roaming the forbidden lands having lost his army um having been defeated and being the only one left alive um I decided his nickname or his his handle was uh, the red sword and the idea behind that was that it was a family heirloom and he'd lost it in in battle mm. and so he's roaming the the Forbidden Lands trying to find himself again by examining how the mortals cope with, you know, effectively the, the, how, how terrible it is to be mortal. Um, some mortal, um, uh, what's the word we're putting it, um, bad behaviours rubbed off on him, so he's now a bit of bit money-grubbing. But Although the, in the last adventure, which we didn't record, you did find a certain inability, didn't you? Well, we didn't just kill the people here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which we did debate long and hard for some time. Um, but say so the 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 idea of the red sword came came to me um, from actually a World of Warcraft thing from a long time ago. <laughs> Not that I play anymore. But anyway, that was long before I knew about the red runners. But then I suddenly thought, having read this, that um, that fits really well. Actually, Tengrel could easily be a renegade. For whatever reason, from the Red Runners or the Red Riders. Yeah, well, I maybe have to say, the image of you riding the my deer, deer is yeah. what made me think that actually that's what the Red Riders ride. Yeah, so I'm um, looking forward to seeing the stats on the War Deer. If yeah. you do that by Saturday as well, that'd be great. It's, I, it's going to be very simple, because yeah. actually it's a matter of whether it's got a melee skill or not, which yeah. it will have, Right. Okay. obviously. So I think I'll be able to definitely do that by, by Saturday. Yeah. Let's hope. Eh? Yeah. Even you. Even me, yes. <laughs> um, but I thought that perhaps maybe the Red Sword wasn't a family heirloom for Tengrail. Maybe it was a Red Runner yes. icon, a Red Runner um, uh, something that was uh, honourable, and he, you know, he he'd been honoured by being given it. Yeah, and you're named for it as well. Yeah, aren't you? yeah. Tengrail um, Red Sword. Yep. Mm. Um, which I've now lost. Yeah. So to to double she up should be Tengrail No Sword. To, to double up on my dishonour. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Not only have you, your entire unit been killed, killed. but you've lost the uh, and I've regimental lost. sword. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. <exactly. laughs> uh, yeah, but so I thought, thought that fitted really nicely. I like it. It's good. Um, yeah. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, we'll, very we'll, nice. we'll see how they come. I, I, I won't tell you which one of these you might be likely to meet in the adventure, but that's one of one of my ulterior motives was just to find out who it was yeah. that I thought might be the person you might come across. I know one of these names... Is uh, is is the person that you're likely to meet? But I'll leave that up to Saturday to find out. Yeah, cool, excellent, brilliant. Well, the the next thing we need to do, we're having to delay, uh, and is, that's uh, talking to Nils. Talking to Nils, but hopefully, in terms of the episode, that interview is coming up right now. Yes. Well, as uh, as it turns out, uh, Nils and Fearlegan had all sorts of distribution problems that they had to deal with uh, for an event they're running this weekend. So we didn't get an interview with Nils. Sadly not, no. 
Well, hopefully we'll get one um, uh, for the next episode. Yeah, with a bit of like, oh, it's just about rescheduling, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, priorities. If they've got yeah. to fix their company and what's going on, then yeah. uh, obviously and that comes we, above. We don't want to deprive any customers of their sh- shiny new dinosaur books or <laughs> no, whatever exactly. it is that they were dealing with um, or, on our account. So um, so we'll we'll keep this episode short. Next next time that we, we have a chat, what are we doing? We're talking about repairing uh, ship, your spaceships? Ship damage and repairs, yeah. Uh, the little thing that I've promised twice before. I shall now. Uh, talk about that next time. Excellent. We'll definitely get it in next time. Yeah. And we have also recorded another Forbidden Lands adventure. So there'll be some more Ravenland Tales episodes between now and the next uh, next episode. Yeah, assuming that Matt hasn't screwed up the recording again this time. I'm sure I haven't. <laughs> I'll just press the save button. It's a really, really good episode as well. And uh, uh, there's some really surprising... Excellent soldiering by one of the three characters. Yeah. It turns out that one of the three is a really mean killer. Uh, and and we'll, we'll let me. you work out who it is. And oh, it's not you with your sword skill of thirteen. I know. Sword. I did. I did bat, bash that thing quite hard. <laughs> yes. But um, oh well. It's all you about timing. The the kill, it's all about yes. timing. Um, so I think all we need to say now is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And, and may the, the icons, icons bless, bless your, your adventures. adventures. That must sound really dicky, really. It must. You have been listening to The Coriolis Effect, presented by Fiction Suit with the RPG Gods, with music by Stars on a Black Sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. Imagery from NASA and the Hubble Space Telescope, brought to you by Wikimedia Commons. Typeface is code by Fontfabric.